Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome to this thing. We're calling it 1189 because there are 1189 chapters in the Bible and we're going to do them all unless Jesus comes back, which would be better. So we're looking at Ezekiel chapter 10 and 11 today. How you guys feeling? Feeling good. I'm feeling great. Great. Feeling, feeling good. good. Been a good day. Yeah. Yeah. We, we had some Chick-fil-A. So it's been a week since you've seen us, but for us, it's been an hour. We had some Chick-fil-A and made jokes about contemporary Christian bands. So we had a <laughs> great time. And it's been Carly's first day of shooting. How's it going so far? It's great. Happy yeah. to be here. It's been good having you. Fun fact about Carly, by the way. I know. Oh, <laughs> um, if you if you ever get if you if you ever get her contacts shared with you into your phone, mm -hmm. she um doesn't. I'm assuming when you set it up, didn't know how to put your name in order. So her name and your contact list is my phone. So literally, it's, the, no. it's oh, not I thought Carly. you were gonna bring up the point of it's grace my video. This is <laughs> oh, far better. I can do that oh. as well. No, go, like, no, no, no. My that's phone. I am a ninety-year-old when yeah. it comes to so technology. You, so when like, you got a phone, you put your own phone number in your own phone book, and you wrote my phone on it. So when you take, <laughs> oh, and then you like, share great. that with people. I don't know how to unchange. I don't know <laughs> so how to I saw, it. I saw a group text huh. that she was on with my wife, and I I recognize all the names, and there's one that's like my phone, smiley face. I'm like. Who is this person? Like the Apple ID also, share. Also, Andy didn't know how to change. <laughs> Andy didn't change it either. So it's just That's like the blind leading the blind of technology. So we're, we're here with Logan, so Landon, Nick, really and my good, phone. Really good hands. Trust yeah. everything I say. <laughs> that is fantastic. That's great. That's pure. Gosh, that's but just I was a, in a good point of anecdote. Grace music video, so and she was in a point of grace music video. In the 90s. You were continually down. What, Which what, what role did you play? I mean, keep the candle burning. It was. Wow, you're outing yourself. This is no fun for me. And what were you doing in it? Sitting on one of the girls' laps, using my thumb as a candle. What? Using your thumb as a candle, so they didn't let the kids. They didn't let the kids have lighters. No. It's on the internet, everybody. Pause the video. Open up a new tab. Go to YouTube. I, I, just, I thought that's what you were going. To. No, but thank you. I forgot about that. I don't know how I forgot about that. Fine point of grace. Oh, the nineties no, and Logan's like, over here going. I can't even imagine. He was not mess. even close. You're to holding being alive your thumb yet. up as a. It's a. <clears throat> it's a. It's a 90s Christian music video. Point of Grace, like four, was it four yeah. women singing? Yeah, four women. It was a oh. They were really big deal. Yeah, no. They were really Yeah, big. they had some good songs. And then like in the 90s before cell phones, people would hold up lighters at concerts. Oh, yeah. That was like a mm -hmm. thing before people would hold up their cell phones. Um, ironically, the, the lighters that they used to smoke cigarettes, that actually did less harm to their bodies than the cell phones that they now <laughs> hand, hand, uh, hold up. That's true. <laughs> Pick your vice. Well, it's intriguing. Point. And I was I, I want you to I was gonna ask you to pray. I want you to still <laughs> I still <laughs> want you. you to, but I feel like was that like too overwhelming to then immediately pray after? Like That's the a big hard transition. The big CCM confession. <laughs> That's a rough transition. Did it lead to other it roles, like, maybe? No, back. no, no, no. This is good. <laughs> We're keeping every second of this. This is good content. Yeah. <laughs> Don't lose this. <laughs> This is great. This is great. Okay, we'll have you pray. We'll have you pray. Uh, we'll have you pray uh, next time, Carly. <laughs> My phone. Yeah. My phone's go gonna pray next time. Logan's gonna Logan, pray. Logan, would, okay, would, would you go, pray. would you pray for us as we yeah. start? God, thank you so much for uh, everyone in the room, and thank you for the people watching online. We're so thankful for all of them, and uh, we're excited to learn more about your word. Amen. Amen. All right, everybody, grab your Bible, open it to. Ezekiel chapter 10. We are in Ezekiel chapter 10. If Ezekiel chapter 10 was a movie, it would have four scenes. Uh, number one, it would be uh, the command. 
Number two would be The Purge. Um, not referencing the film, but that is similar to what happens. Number three, the description of the cherubim. And number four, the glory moving. Remember, this is the prophet of glory, right? Mm -hmm. Right, Logs? Yeah. Totally. Not going to disagree. Right? <laughs> right? Uh, right, my phone? Correct. <laughs> um, so here is how we start. Ezekiel says, then I looked and behold on the expanse that was over the heads of the cherubim there appeared above them something like sapphire so expanse there is the word for heaven it's the same idea from the beginning of genesis and it's interesting because in exodus 24 it's one of my favorite passages to talk about um, because uh, most people that i've talked to have not ever heard this but um, when god was standing uh, on the top of um, Mount Sinai, the, 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 the ground beneath his feet was turned into a pavement of sapphire stone as clear as the blue sky, it says in one translation. And so here we have above the cherubim, this kind of like blue sapphire stone appearance. Then it says next, in appearance like a throne. So like a throne. Remember, he's describing a vision and things are seeming to happen really fast. He's not in control of the speed. He doesn't have, you know, the remote from the Adam Sandler film Click. Mm. You know, he, awesome. he good, movie. good movie. He cannot kind of maneuver around. He, it's going, he's, it's like a movie. He's yeah. watching it and he's in it, right? It's like a VR headset, honestly, is what it's like. And he said to the man clothed in linen, oh, my guy's back. The, linen the writer. The writer. The writer, yeah. Yeah. stocked with Fanny the red back. and black pens, freshly finished drawing crosses on the heads of the righteous. Isn't, isn't the reference to the blue, the blue uh, lapis lazuli or whatever, mm -hmm. isn't that also from the first chapter? His first I was thinking that too, yeah. Yes, exactly. So, so that's back. And... Um, so then we see that here because it says it in yeah. verse two, uh, go in among the whirling wheels underneath the cherubim, fill your hands with burning coals from between the cherubim and scatter them over the city. So we see the stunning combination of the man in linen from chapter nine with the creatures and their cosmic chariots and the wheels within wheels from chapter one. This is how we know that they're called the whirling wheels because we referred to them that way in chapter one, but we know that because it says it here and elsewhere. They have come back to provide transportation for the kabod. They are here as glory transporters. Mm -hmm. They have arrived to transport the glory as it leaves the city of God. It is a devastating thing. So remember this chapter because it's been building to this point. And when we get to chapter 46 through 48, it's going to click together the overarching move of the entire text. Does that make sense? Yeah. So this is a key one. He went in before my eyes. Now the cherubim were standing on the south side of the house. When the man went in and a cloud filled the inner court. So this happened at Solomon's temple and at Aaron's tabernacle. This is big. This is big in the Old Testament. 
when it happens at Solomon's temple, it's one of the high points of the Old Testament. When it happens in the tabernacle, it's one of the high points. So to us, sometimes it seems like, oh, cool, that connects with those two random verses. It really isn't random in the movement of the Old Testament. It's a very, very, very big deal. All of the laborious tabernacle passages all get to the part where this happens. Same thing with the temple passages. It's a long time and you're waiting and David won't do it because he like murdered all those people. And then Solomon does it and then the glory fills the temple, right? So this is the same thing as that, except it's in a vision. And um, John Calvin said of this section, doubtless this signifies that God by all means confirmed the vision that no suspicion should creep in that the prophet was deluded with an empty specter. This, therefore, is the reason why God not only appeared on his heavenly throne, but also filled the temple with a cloud. The cloud was a symbol of God's alienation, meaning really we would say separation. And we know that the sanctuary was filled with a cloud, although God then wished to testify his paternal favor. But in this place and elsewhere in Psalm 18, a cloud seems to signify the averted face of God as if the temple were full of darkness. That's exactly the way that I see it. The cloud of God is shrouding the person of God. Mm. So when it says that God, uh, that, that Moses went to the top of Mount Sinai, God invited all the people up the mountain, it says in the original Hebrew, but they translate it into English. They say that God invited them up to the mountain. And they translate it that way because they're terrified of what it actually says, which is that God invited all of the people of Israel up onto Mount Sinai. Mm. And they wouldn't do it because they were terrified. And so... Moses goes up and stands face to face with God, but God's shrouded in a cloud, right? Mm. It's this God's spirit. He's, but Jesus is the picture of God, but no one has ever seen God. No one has ever seen the face of God, right? And so here it is that same thing. When it says that a cloud is coming into the temple, it's because God himself is literally in there, right? Mm. The same, the same Yahweh that came down in the pillar of cloud on top of Mount Sinai. That's the idea. And the cloud is intentionally obfuscating any ability to be able to see him. Mm. And this is the same thing that he had the priests symbolically do in the Holy of Holies. Remember the censers from, yeah. from last time? They would go in there with the censers and the cloud would cover the mercy seat of the tabernacle. And it was this thing of like intentional vision obfuscation. That's the same thing that's happening here. So and absolutely. And the glory of the Lord, verse four, went up from the cherubib, uh, the ch cherubib, cherub to the threshold of the house. And the house was filled with the cloud. And the court was filled with the brightness of the glory of the Lord. Um, you know, people talk about which Bible passage they'd most like to live through. I think the best answer is the resurrection. Second best answer is probably Pentecost. This one would be up there for me. Mm. Or the two other times this happened that I'm referencing. Like just everything about life and the brokenness of life seemingly brought into focus when you are with the eternal God and mm. you are seeing the lightness and brightness of God and you were like, oh, okay, great. This being is real. Right. So everything else gets knocked down like five pegs of how much it matters. Yes. And this, wow. this is the thing. And this is like, this is what has captivated me as an adult to be a pastor and teach the Bible. It is like, I want people to experience that. 
I want people to experience the glory of the Lord. I want people to be able to say, like, there is 0% doubt in my mind that there is a God because I know this God, because I've experienced this God, because I've been close to this God, because I know him and he knows me and I love him and he is a part of my life. Do you get what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't want people to struggle anymore on the, is there a God? Well, absolutely. Let's experience him together. Let's experience his glory. And this is, this, the tabernacle, the temple, this to me is like what church is. Like, we have gathered not to like amass knowledge and we have gathered not to hang out and eat, although those things are wonderful. We have gathered to encounter the living God. Mm. We have gathered to see the brightness of the face of God. We have gathered to be terrified around the glory cloud as we recognize how lucky and, and blessed we are to be able to even be here and to be able to even know him. Verse 5, And the sound of the wings of the cherubim was heard as far as the outer court, like the voice of God Almighty when he speaks. So do we remember the the sound from when he was speaking was the sound of like the rushing water, right? Yeah. The waves. It's a mix of like water and and, and uh, the sound of speech. Um, Bede the Venerable from the late 600s said, the prophet Ezekiel clearly declares that cherubim is the name of the angelic powers that he describes as having appeared to him with wings according to the pattern in which they are ordered to be deployed here. Verse 6. And when he commit, you could also see how, if you're familiar with Isaiah chapter 6, when he's in the, the temple, you can see how, probably, he's probably seeing the same thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cherubim have been described in statues, paintings, yeah. Valentine's Day, uh, illustrations, right? As the little baby angels, the naked baby angels. This is probably not what we're seeing here. Yeah, um, we're seeing these angels that it says in Isaiah 6 of, of six wings. With two, they cover their face. With two, they cover their feet, which is the implication for the whole being. And with two, they flew. So the idea is you can't even see them or perhaps that you could, but they don't want to see the glory of God because it's too much wow, or something like that, right? Yeah. So it's presumably something like that. I've seen a lot of these um, memes of like biblically accurate angels with the <laughs> eyes all around. Yeah. I think those are really cool, but that's not exclusively the way that angels are talked about. Like when the angel Gabriel visits mm. uh, Mary, it's not like some guy covered in eyes. It's an angel. It's a it's a being, a, right. a person-like being. Do you get what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So I like those memes because they're funny, but it's not exclusively that way. Yeah. If like a Ryan Gosling sort of <laughs> presence. We got we got naked baby angel <laughs> and then and then Ryan Tag yourself, Gosling. which one are you? Yeah. I, or Tag or the biblically accurate. Yourself. This is yeah. all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> Needless to say, all of human history we have yet to fully grasp. Interestingly enough, what also we're talking about the connection with Isaiah chapter six. Yeah. Um uh, do you remember what God uses to touch Isaiah in Isaiah chapter six? Right. Exactly, he uses a coal, and what is uh, what was uh, he, the man in linen told to grab here? Yeah. Coals, right? Yeah. So you can see like these further kind of uh, viewpoints of pr presumably the same thing. Presumably, what he is seeing is the throne room of God, and you're like, but I thought he was like in Jerusalem, and it's like, no, 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 he's wherever he is. Does that make sense? Yeah. 
and God is wherever God is. So he's still in the same place. Okay, so verse 6, the man, when he commanded the man clothed in linen, take fire from between the whirling wheels, from between the cherubim. So these are like some sort of like coal-powered UFOs here. Awesome. He went, did you have a question? I just had one commentary that I had read said that the fire came straight from the throne of the glory of God himself, which I thought was just freaking cool. Yeah. And super like... I don't know. It just brings a different dimension to it. And if it's, if I don't it's, know if that's true. And if it's it the same vision that John saw in Revelation chapter four, it says that he's surrounded by an emerald rainbow, mm. and mm. you know, cool. Who knows? Yeah. I can see why he'd be overwhelmed and forget to include that this time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's a lot of hot coals being passed around <laughs> yeah. between angelic like beings, either. and he's like, my yeah. buddy Isaiah got hit with one of those. Don't hold too long. In the mouth. In the mouth. A cherub stretched out his hand from between the cherubim to the fire that was between the cherubim and took some of it and uh, put it in the hands of the man clothed in linen who took it and went out. So that's pretty, uh, I think, easy to picture. We have a revelation connection here. For those of us who are watching, um, I'm not saying these are the only revelation connections in Ezekiel. I'm saying these are the ones that I'm choosing to focus on. So there are more. And I'd recommend uh, G.K. Beale and David Campbell's commentary if you'd like to um, study more. If it if you'd like if you like getting headaches, you can get the one that just G.K. Beale wrote because it's like seven hundred pages. <laughs> because the abridged one is already so stunningly long. Mm. You're like, this is the abridged. <laughs> you know, it's it's pretty it's pretty uh, it's pretty exciting stuff. So in Revelation eight five, the angel took the censer filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning and an earthquake. So basically the, the two theologians there, just the portrayal here, the bottom half of the quote is modeled to a great extent on Ezekiel 10, one through seven, where an angel standing in the temple of the Lord takes fire from between the cherubim and scatters it over the city, emphasizing the degree, the decree of God's judgment narrated in Ezekiel 9. So we see there their take on it, which I think is totally right, which is that the um, taking of the coal is a part of the judgment from chapter 9. Then in addition to that, just like dial in your view, viewer, of Revelation because there's so much awful Revelation content out there and see through the lens, see through the correct, I believe, hermeneutic lens into Revelation, which is incredibly important, and see how it is made up of pieces of the same visions that God has shown to people in the past and what that means about it and what that doesn't mean and how Gog and Magog isn't Russia. Um, <laughs> Dang it! It's Russia or it's Iran. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> or China. Yeah. Oh man, it's definitely. Oh, it's not China. Lord knows we don't want to go to war with them. Meanwhile, America is nowhere mentioned. <laughs> America oh. is mentioned. Is. If my people who are called by my name is. stand, <laughs> if you don't have an American tattoo right above the cross tattoo on your arm, what kind of an American are you? Yeah. Right? <laughs> um, verse 8, the cherubim appeared to have the form of a hand under their wings. I love Jeez. that parentheses there. Yeah, totally. And he's saying like that's like he's saying like that's how they got the coals basically. If, if that part confused you, don't <laughs> worry. They had human hands. 
Totally. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Because I've know... been hung up this whole time. <laughs> yeah. How are they carrying these coals with their wings? Thank you for clearing Thank that up. Thank you for clarifying. Totally. <laughs> How is the angel hovering over wheels within wheels with the face of a lion, a bear, and a human? But how are they holding it? <laughs> ah, human hands. Well, of course. Little, like, <laughs> yeah. See, I told you the Bible doesn't make sense. <laughs> it's kind of like a SpongeBob animation of like human hands coming in. It's totally. very funny. And I looked, and behold, there were four wheels beside the cherubim, one beside each cherub, and the appearance of the wheels was like sparkling barrel. Um, here's what sparkling barrel looks like. So he's saying, the uh, we, we haven't gotten this before, right? Now, do you remember the painting from last time that showed that the wheels were like this kind of emerald green color? Yeah. It's funny because these guys that are making these paintings are really smart because we get different details in the different things. So we didn't know they were called whirling wheels until now, and we mm -hmm. didn't know that the wheels looked like that until now. Does that make sense? Because he never said that until now. Right. Um, and for their appearance, the four had the same likeness as if a wheel within a wheel. It's some UFOs, man. <laughs> um when they went, they went in any of the four directions without turning as they went. But in whatever direction the front wheels faced, the others followed without turning as they went. This is that same directional. Mm -hmm. He loves to yeah. speak on the direction of it. We saw that in like episode two of the podcast. Exactly. And this is where um, I do see how people think these are UFOs. Because I like reading UFO encounters uh, for a variety of reasons. One of the reasons is I believe many of them, some of them, are real spiritual encounters with demonic beings. And I care about those people. And I want to learn to help the people like that. And um, in addition to that, one of the things that like the biggest UFO guy ever said, he said um, that, do you remember this guy from the 80s that said he worked at Area 51? Yeah. And then the Area 51 or something somehow said he didn't work there, but then later it was proven that he did. And he said that the spaceship that he worked on was able to create its own gravitational pull, mm -hmm. meaning that there was really no propulsion required for it to move in any direction. I'm not I've saying heard that a lot, yeah. Yeah, I'm not saying these things are UFOs. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it's interesting when people are talking about technology in a way that illustrates something that has been stated in the past. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. It's fascinating, too, that Will Smith was able to learn how to fly it so quickly. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's the one with his son. No, I'm sorry. That's a different movie. Oh, no. Ind Independence Day, my boy. Independence Day? Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah. His son and him are in a different one. After again. Earth. After Earth. Yeah. Is that as bad oh, as yeah. I've heard? I was a I was the target audience. I was a kid when I saw it, so it was like it was awesome. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. I get what you mean. Yeah, 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 totally. Um, and their whole body, their rims and their spokes, their wings and their wheels were full of eyes all around. The wheels of the four of them had. Uh, the wheels of the of the wheels that the four of them had, verse thirteen. As for the wheels, they were called in my hearing the whirling wheels. And everyone had four faces. <laughs> the first face. <laughs> Everything else wasn't enough. Yeah. Totally. Four faces. Totally. Face of the cherub, human, lion, and eagle. And why is he saying it again? Uh, because he saw it again. Um, mm. Daniel Block said, when the vision returns in chapter 10, 13 months later, it can be described in more conventional ways 
where material from chapter 1 is repeated, most of the grammatical difficulties have been smoothed out, which makes a lot of sense to me because he's like seeing it again. He's able, because he's writing these things down right after he sees them. Right, yeah. And so he is, it seems like he's able to kind of, like if you went on a crazy roller coaster twice, the second time perhaps it would be easier for you to express what exactly yeah. was happening. Well, and you're familiar, and so your brain will focus on the stuff that you're not familiar with, so you're adding detail, filling the gaps. Plus, yeah. over those 13 months, I wonder if he's relayed the story, you know, replayed it in his mind, but also relayed the vision to other people. So totally. He's familiar probably worked up a little bit of a rubric for explaining this. Mm. Totally. Like, he's going to see a therapist, and they're like, do you want to do EMDR? And he's like, yes. And they're like, what do you want to talk about? And he's like, these these wheels. <laughs> within yeah. wheels. Four faces. And, and then stuff. they have yeah. him, like, hooked up, and his heartbeat starts, like, going really fast. Yeah. Um. The sheer brilliance, uh, Block continues, of the first vision has been toned down, which really mirrors what you just said, Nick. Um, the description of cre the creatures has now been rationalized, and details that seemed out of place in Chapter 1 play more vital roles, the burning coals specifically, and the wheels. These modifications suggest that the images which Ezekiel had had extreme difficulty in describing and identifying at the time of his inauguration have now settled in his mind. And when the throne chariot returns in chapter 10, he's able to describe what he sees in composed and coherent fashion. So um, there is a difference. Um, that There is a bit of a difference in the faces. There's one um, animal that's different, and it's really like... Um, there's a there's really no, there's no way of knowing really why it's just wild and in revelation chapter four the faces are back to what he saw in chapter one so there you go the cherubim mounted up verse 15 these were the living creatures that i saw by the keybar canal um logan could you read verses 16 and 17 for us when the cherubim moved the wheels beside them moved and when the cherubim spread their wings to rise from the ground the wheels did not leave their side. When the cherubim stood still, they also stood still. And when the cherubim, cherubim rose, they rose with them because the spirit of the living creatures was in them. So Jewish mysticism teaches that the wheels themselves were a specific type of angel. Um, that's not correct because um, it says that the spirit of the living creatures was in them. So it's like there's somehow a part of the same thing and and the eyes on the wheel are 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 not literal they don't literally have eyes oh. it's a it's a metaphorical picture of a surrealistic vision of something that represents something does that make mm. sense I probably shouldn't have asked, does that make sense after saying yeah, like the, absolutely the not. most <laughs> complex <laughs> sentence yeah, I've I ever stated yes not make sense it's sort of a dolly illustration oh, I'm so sorry. What this, were you gonna say? No, no, no. I was just so this say. is a this is a painting called Field by um, Joan Miro, and uh, it's a it's a surrealistic vision. Um, so, um, what uh, he's when God is showing someone a vision in the Bible, right? It's not literal, right? So he's those things are not literally there, right? Are they there spiritually? Absolutely. Mm. Do we know for a fact if all of the facets of what he's seeing spiritually are literally present in the spiritual realm? We do not. I personally think that many of them are not. I think that they're shown to him to illustrate something. Like eyes all around, perhaps, these angels see everything. 
right? Mm-hmm. Just something as simple as that. Yeah. But when I read these texts, I think of like very, very aggressive art like this. But this is just maybe because I like art. But when I read it, I'm like, wow, this must have been wild what he was seeing. Or this is uh, the per- the persistence of memory um, by Salvador. Salvador. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Let's go. A Christian who actually cares about art. Have you seen the watches that look what like is this? those clocks? A coffee shop in Soho? Come on. <laughs> who is this guy? Yeah. Adding to that resume for Christian. Wow. <laughs> What's next? Listening to Radiohead and eating a $9 taco in Portland? Look yeah. at this guy. Wow. Yeah, and then here is... Um... Oh, I love this one. So we looked at this one last time. I want, I want the, a print of this. Just about, this was it's so cool. That's nice. so funny because it's exactly what I have in my notes because this is a painting by a guy named Gary Haddon. It's a lot more recent. I think he's still alive, and you can buy prints of it. Um, and I wanted to buy a print of it for this, but we didn't have enough money in the budget uh, for that, so we <laughs> oh. didn't. But here's what he said. Here's what Gary Haddon said. He said, this is a painting based on Ezekiel's chapter 1 through 10 in the Bible. It's my second painting of this vision. I believe it to be true. I call this painting Ezekiel's Vision 2. This is a mixed-media painting on arch, arche, arches, paper, mounted on museum-quality Stratmore board, unframed 11 by 14. This is a one-of-a-kind original artwork depicting Ezekiel's vision of God. It's accurate in nature, but I have added the seraphim angels, for I believe these angels to always be at God's throne, protecting his holy name from all who speak with God. I also find it very challenging painting these angels with so many wings, mixed media, painting, watercolor, oil, and ink. I love it. I can I, see the emerald ring yeah. around you the throne. You throw a black light on that puppy and yeah. woo well, Did the, he do that? Where's the emerald? I don't see it. Do you see green around the throne? I see it. Up there, a stroke of green. it's also got the yeah. lapis. Oh yeah, I see it. Yeah. yeah, the Sapphire blue. Too. Yeah. Totally, and then we see the um, the barrel, the gleaming barrel wheels at the bottom. Let me see scale of it too, because that's a little town right there, the by the river. Mm. Yeah, let me see poor Ezekiel down there. He's like, Although good Ezekiel lord, I thought this was going to be a one-time thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely <laughs> losing his mind. Probably. He's like, can I yeah. go back to just laying down on my side? <laughs> like a child in a <laughs> That was kind of easy. <laughs> Another year of side laying, <laughs> yeah. please, Lord. He's like a child in a haunted house. He's like, that was terrifying, but I loved it. Do you know what I mean? That's like the vibe I get from reading it. Yeah. Or like, have you ever seen a really scary movie that really scared you, but you really enjoyed it? Right. Yes. Yeah. That's the vibe I, I get from reading it. Um, hmm. Yeah, we should buy... Nick, can we have some of your budget to buy a copy of that? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Cool. cool. He said it. Lord. He yeah. said it. As long as it's for the Lord. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Right, Carly? I have not seen the price. <laughs> I defer to the uh, finance person. You uh, know how like uh, when you'd swear as a kid, not like cuss, but you'd be like, well, I swear I will do it. And then your Christian friends or your parents yes, would be like, don't your swear, your don't yes swear. Let your yes be yes and your no yeah. be no. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> totally. Totally. Yeah. Or like when people are like, don't say, oh, my God, that's taking the Lord's name in vain. And you're like, it says that in the Psalms. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think it means I, David. I think it means don't baptize your preference and then say that that's godliness. OK, so then that's the glory whole other episode. Yeah, that would be fun to talk about with you, Nick. I'd love, love to hear your thoughts on that. <laughs> Turn up for that one. 
Yeah, a guy called, I, I, I said that on uh, uh, Instagram and a guy called me a blasphemer. I was like, wow, I've never been called that before. That's wild. It's intriguing. It didn't even bother me. I just, I'm more interested in like when I say things like that, if you disagree, like let's talk about what I said, right? Because right? either what I said is right or wrong. If I'm wrong, help me see or understand. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, in modern times, blasphemer means I disagree with you, but I don't <laughs> know why and I can't articulate it. So I'm just going to leave this word blasphemer and then just go away. Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you're a fascist. Yeah. What does that mean? It means I didn't eat breakfast and I don't like what you said. <laughs> yeah. It's the it's like the it's like the mail package bomb of debating. My uh, assumption of reality, so therefore. Yeah. yeah. It's the worst word that I can think of. So yeah. I'm just going to leave it totally. at your step. <laughs> totally. I can We're think of some worse ones. Well, why don't we keep Beep. those in your mind <laughs> and not upon We'll be right back tongue. after these messages. <laughs> There's we should make idea. a we should make a video though where we bleep out Logan when he's not saying curse words so it sounds like he is. The unnecessary censorship video. Yeah. Those would be great. Get that in the mix. That'll do well on the socials. All right, verse 18. I'll do well for the MDiv degree. Then <laughs> Then the glory of the Lord went out from the threshold of the house and stood over the cherubim and the cherubim lifted up their wings and mounted up from the earth before my eyes as they went out with the wheels beside them and they stood at the entrance of the east gate of the house of the Lord and the glory of the God of Israel was over them. So the glory of the Lord is moving from the Holy of Holies to another location and now even further. Um, Block notes the departure of this glory signals the end of a relationship that existed for almost four centuries. The divine king has abandoned his residence. So this is as much of a disaster as that quote makes it sound like. Yeah. So the glory of the Lord was in the tabernacle in 1400 BC. And then the glory of the Lord was in the temple in around 1100 or 1000, depending on when you think Solomon was around. And then now we're at about 600, specifically 593, but about 600. So you can see what he's saying here. There's two 400 year stretches of this. This is an absolute disaster. Uh, verse 20, there were, there, these were the living creatures that I saw underneath the God of Israel by the Kibar Canal. And I knew that they were cherubim. Each had four faces. They had four wings and underneath their wings, the likeness of human hands. And as for the likeness of their faces, they were the same faces whose appearance I had seen by the Kibar Canal. Each one of them went straight forward. So it's important for him for some reason to keep saying it's the same vision that I saw, perhaps because he's so overwhelmed. He wants to make sure that people know that right. and don't say, oh, it's a different thing, if, it, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Chapter 11, then the spirit lifted me up, which is a really beautiful turn of phrase. It's our revelation connection number seven, uh, because John is uh, carried away in the spirit. Um, and uh, anyone can correct me if I'm wrong, the only two times I remember that happening in the Bible is to John in Revelation and to Ezekiel. And we see here that it actually happens to Ezekiel a bunch of times. He gets a lot of Holy Spirit vision flight, right? Yeah. He gets a lot. He gets a lot of that. So That's John, Beale and Campbell say John's repeated rapture into the realm of the Spirit further underscores his prophetic commission and authority, especially 17.3, where al allusions to the Ezekiel commissions occur in the same manner. And then he goes on to say that where they're at in Revelation is combining two sections later in Ezekiel about the mountain and, and all of that stuff. Um, the Spirit lifted me up. 
and brought me to the east gate of the house, which faces east. And behold, at the entrance of the gateway, there were 25 men. Oh, we've seen these guys before. And I saw among them Jazaniah, the son of Azur. Now, this is actually a different Jazaniah than the one in chapter 8, which I know it's staggering to think that more than one human person named... Well, Jazz is a good nickname. That's great. Jazz. Jazzy. (laughs) Jazz man. Utah Jazz. Jazz and I and Lil Boozy. I hope they were friends and collabed on something. I remember Lil Boozy. Remember Boozy from from this first episode and Jazz and I? I hope those guys... Lil Jazz. Yeah. Lil Jazz and Lil Boozy. Yeah, that could work. Um, and Pelatiah, the son of Benaiah, princes of the people. So these guys were leaders um, from Lamar Cooper's um, NAC commentary. Recent archaeological discoveries in the excavations of the city of David, that's Jerusalem, have yielded over 250 boule, those are clay seals used on official documents, from the period prior to the fall of Jerusalem. We're seven years right now from the fall of Jerusalem where we're at in time. They were preserved because they were burned when the building in which they were housed was destroyed, probably in the destruction of 586. That's what's been prophesied about. Both the names Jazaniah and Pelatiah appeared in this archive of seals of royal officials. In addition to these, the name of Jeremiah and the seal of Jeremiah's scribe, Baruch, the son of Neriah, were found. So that's kind of cool. You don't get a lot of very, very specific stuff like that as it relates to kind of random characters. You know what I mean? There was like a really long period of time where like archaeologists were saying that the Bible's not real because they've never discovered anything about the group, the Hittites. Yeah. It was like a whole thing. And atheists would talk about all the time. They'd be like, the Hittites are in the Bible like 20 times and they never found anything. And then sure enough, in the 90s, they found this whole thing about the Hittites. And yeah. then no one ever says that anymore <laughs> or apologizes. Yeah, just keep digging. Modern archaeology is like <sighs> maybe 125 years old. It hasn't even hit its prime yet. It's there. Well, the, I mean, the implication that if something would have existed, we would have found something about it is ridiculous. It's That's ridiculous. true. No, yeah. one even knew that, no one even knew the archaeology of dinosaurs until, you know, very, very recently, right? Very it's like, recently. Um, verse 2. And he said to me, son of man, that's the big name. These are the men who devise iniquity and who give wicked counsel in the city, who say, the time is not near to build houses. This city is the cauldron and we are the meat. (laughs) That's what they're telling people. They're like, bro, Jerusalem's a pot and you're you're chicken, you're beef, (laughs) I'm pork and you are what's another one? Lobster. <laughs> you are lobster, and we're all in this pot, and dot, dot, dot. And so the delicious. idea... Yes. Well, maybe not pork. So th- do you get yeah. what the idea yeah. is there? Yeah. Yeah. The idea there is, uh, oh, we're in, we're in, we're about to go into exile like the northern kingdom. Um, we're not, we're not going to have to leave and build new houses in Babylon. If it gets that bad, we're going to get cooked in here. Yeah. That's <laughs> the idea yeah. that, that he's saying. Um That'd be a great T-shirt. You know, to that'd be a great up. that'd be a great post on Instagram. Like, I love when people kind of like extrapolate the Bible into just the positive verses. Yeah, and they're like, "Hey, superstars! Like, 
I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. And I love stuff like that. I believe in that. I believe in that for myself. But I also believe in this city is a cauldron and we, we are, are the, the meat. <laughs> I think we should make some posts where it's like a picture of a sunset or like a cat like hanging on a string. And it's like, hey, superstars. And then they swipe. And it's like, this city is the cauldron and you are the meat. <laughs> I like that. I think or that'd like be good. Yeah. yeah. Like more modern terms because nobody's like, we are, yeah. We're the meat, and the city is a, is a, is a pot. We are in an air fryer. Yeah, air fryer. That's what I was, I was thinking. Of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the teens will get it. Or like, what's the slow cooker thing? Yeah, a yeah. A crock pot. Instapot crock pot. pot. Instapot. Oh, dude. When Brie makes crock pot meals, you're I, pro crock I, pot. I could be two hundred miles away, and I would speed the whole time to get home for that. That's funny because Gen Z sentiment is that when you come home and the crock pot's on the counter, it's about to be a bad night. People do not really? like the crock pot. How dare really? you? The, I know. The, the meals that come out of crock pots? No, we're done. We're That's over what Gen them. Z kids it's out. say. It's out this year. Guys, I didn't even, I've never felt so That's great. The All the more for me. Now. Yeah, what would you, what would Gen Z prefer to eat? I don't know. Are we going to dog on Taco follows. Bell again for another minute? <laughs> eat more Instagram. I don't know. What would Gen Z want to eat? I don't know. Like, what are those awful, like, taquito, Sushi. like, chip yeah, things? Yeah, hot chip. They want a hot chip. They want to charge your phone. Yeah, they want to like complain, eat hot chips, charge their phone, and then be like, I'm stunned that I'm depressed. <laughs> Just stunned. Like, how could it possibly be? I've been, do you know yeah. how many Doritos I gave to my gut? Yeah. <laughs> I will say it's been, it's been two episodes since we've made fun of at least a generation. Hot yeah. chip and lean. The, 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 the dogging on of generations that we do on this podcast has sparked more than one conversation <laughs> with family members for me personally. So, yeah, well, people, like, they always want to disagree with it, but they never want to have a real conversation about real, like, facts. They just want to be like, I don't like that. And it's like, okay, well, like, yeah, you know, okay, you know. Do you think Jesus liked dying on the cross? I mean, <laughs> come on. So... <laughs> Where the crock pot. So that's a, that's, Maybe Brie needs to make your friends her crock pot. So meals. back to the crock pot. Maybe they're just making the wrong recipes. Back to the crock pot, which is the most important thing that we're talking yeah. about right now, which is so good. So I'm all for it. If Gen Z kids are like tired of their like really kind millennial parents <laughs> really who hug kind. them all the time <laughs> and make yeah. them great meals, then they can like go figure it out. Um, put it's your, like put my your Taco Bell in a crock pot and eat it. It's like my all-time favorite meme. This guy was like a boomer, and he was running a, a garage for car fixes, whatever. And he just tweets, um, oh, some guy, some millennial pulled in, doesn't know how to change his own oil. And the guy just responded. He was like, yeah, but at least I hug my kids. Mm. <laughs> That's boomer true. Rested. That's true. It's like, I don't know how to change oil, but at least I post that Instagram infographic. Or... <laughs> Here's a crazy idea. Just learn how to do both. <laughs> Xennial represent. What? <laughs> Xennial? Yeah, You're making this up. I'm not making it up. It's right. a baby generation. <laughs> the best of both worlds. Okay, so get this, because this is wild, because John Calvin commented on this verse, and he uses it to just absolutely dunk on Catholics and on the Pope. I love I love Catholics, but this was too funny not to not to talk about. <laughs> so he says, uh, John Calvin says, Here the prophet admonishes the people that perverse leaders would be the cause of their destruction, for if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into the ditch. Since therefore the elders were of the uh, the city, uh, since therefore the elders of the city were such wicked apostates, they drew with them the whole body of the people into the same ruin. And then he says, As we see this day in the papacy <laughs> For this is their last refuge. 
since they think themselves guilty of no fault when they obey their holy mother church, such also formerly was the obstinacy of the people. Jeez. And we know when he said this, <laughs> yep. so we know that he was talking about Pope Pius IV. <laughs> Shots fired. <laughs> Shots fired. Man. <laughs> For as to the Pope himself, it is in his power to condemn the whole world while he exempts himself from all blame. He looks so sneaky in that image. That's what John you Calvin said that about last the Pope. Sentence and that was a doozy. That's I wild. Know. Yeah, for those of you listening and not Ooh. watching, the uh, the headline on that slide said John Calvin dunking on Catholics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is which is probably a good title of the podcast. Totally. Episode. <laughs> That's wild stuff. That is. Do you think when John Calvin saw Pope Pius IV in heaven, he was like, <laughs> what are you doing here? Yeah. yeah. Uh, maybe communion wasn't a symbol. Yeah. <laughs> like, maybe I don't believe in limited atonement after all. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> totally. Oh, yeah. And then in reverse, Pope Pius was like, oh, dude, sorry about the indulgences. That was ridiculous. We needed money. God probably made them do a group project together in heaven. Like... <laughs> <laughs> you too. Yeah. Think you of go. all the group projects. It's like the gym happening. class. Totally. You two are running around the track holding hands. <laughs> yep. Wear this t-shirt together. You both. That's so fit funny. Into go it. make a diorama of Ezekiel 11. <laughs> so therefore, uh, verse four, prophesy against them. Prophesy, O son of man. He doubles uh, doubles up there, saying the word prophecy twice. Uh, this is from Daniel Block. It's just a really good overview of the various types of judgment speeches that happen in this book. So if you're watching, we'll have this up on the screen for you. If you're listening, just come back to this part um, on the video so you can grab this. This is a great little tool. Um, You know, it's not like something to memorize or something like that, but it just helps you see the different types of judgment speeches that come because there's a lot of speeches. Um, The book moves away from more of the narrative stuff for a, a pretty long period of time into a lot of different types of addresses. And so I thought that was really great. 11 chapter 2 through 12 um, also says uh, uh, the um, Nicot um, represents a typical prophetic disputation speech involving the explicit quotation of a popular opinion that demands explicit exposure and refutation. Okay, so it's really important what he said as you're learning um, hermeneutics uh, in the Bible because he's saying here that what is a very common way of prophesying is to state a commonly stated cultural idiom and then to say why it's wrong. And that is exactly what the Sermon on the Mount is built on. The mm. Sermon on the Mount repeatedly. You've heard it said. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. The Sermon on the, on the Mount repeatedly does that in a way that I think is just so brilliant. So verse 5, And the Spirit of the Lord fell upon me, and he said to me, Thus says the Lord, So you think, O house of Israel, for I know the things that have come into your mind, which made my top three most terrifying things said in the book of Ezekiel. Oh my gosh. This one came in at number three, which is God saying, I know the thoughts that have come in. (laughs) I'm like, you really? Yeah. Even when I was a teenager? (laughs) Oh no. (laughs) Even when I went to public high school? Good Lord. Thank, Thank the Lord for forgiveness and redemption. Verse six, you've multiplied your slain in the city you have filled its streets with the slain. So that's a judicial word, not a war word for slain. So it doesn't come across it doesn't it doesn't come across in English the way it actually is. He's not saying killed. Hmm. He's saying something worse, which is unfairly executed in a court of law. This is the same thing that's happening in the book of Amos. 
It's a really important concept to understand because people take biblical justice and they make it into social justice. You know, social justice has a lot of great mm. points, you know, and there's a lot of great things that have happened in its name. But biblical justice is a judicial word. It's a judicial idea. And there um, in first Kings, uh, the, the kings are told in um, 19. Well, well, we'll get to that. Verse seven. Therefore, thus says the Lord, you're slain. Same who have lain in the midst of it, they are the meat, and this city is the cauldron, but you shall be brought out of the midst of it. So do you see how he's taken what the fake prophets and leaders have said and flipped it up on its head? Mm -hmm. So they said to him, oh, don't don't worry. We're safe in this cauldron. If we do die, we'll just die in here. It's fine, right? He's saying, no, 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 no. The people that you unjustly executed, exerting oppression and authority over the poor, is the way Amos would describe it, huh. in a way that's unfair to them. You lorded your authority. You did not have fair justice systems in your society. Those people, those are the people that are the meat in the cauldron. Yeah. You're you're a lobster, and you're hoping that the heat goes up so you can be gone. It's not happening. You're getting taken out. Mm. You guys are getting taken out here. I love the right? way that the uh, New Living writes this. It says, uh, this city is an iron pot, all right, but the pieces of meat are the victims of your injustice. Yeah. As for you, I will soon drag you from this pot. Yes. That's good. That's good. That's and terrifying. so that also made my top five most terrifying things in the book of <laughs> Ezekiel. So we had two in one chapter. Um, you have feared the sword, verse 8. I'll bring the sword upon you, declares the Lord. The sword is uh, Babylon. I will bring you out of the midst of it, give you into the hands of foreigners, and execute judgments upon you. You shall fall by the sword. I will judge you at the border of Israel, right? Because they're getting taken into exile. And you shall know that I am the Lord. If you're watching, um, it might that might be a good sentence to underline. You shall know that I am the Lord is a repeating phrase. Mm -hmm. it, it, it occurs so many times. And later, um, I'm going to pitch to you a very difficult theological idea, which is the mercy that comes from God's judgment through the knowledge of him and the redemption that he brings. Um, verse 11, this city shall not be your cauldron, nor shall you be the meat in the midst of it, but I will judge you at the border of Israel. This is a disaster. This is not good. They came into Israel at the border Obviously, mm -hmm. it came over the river. Right. So now at the border is like the idea of you're getting exiled. Right. You're getting, you know, deported. But the, do you get what I mean? It's yeah. like that type of idea. It's a yeah. disaster. Um, Daniel Block notes in syncretistic pagan fashion, the Israelites had come to base their security automatically on their residence within their divinely allotted territory. Don't you get it? He's saying they thought they were safe. Oh, this is God's city. God's like, yeah, I don't live there anymore. <laughs> right? Wow. I don't live there. It's not my city anymore. The glory this of is God Babylon's is city. Yeah. Exactly. The wheels, exactly. The wheels took it away. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. And you shall know that I am the Lord, verse 12. For you've not walked in my statutes, nor obeyed my rules. You've acted according to the rules of the nations that are around you. And it came to pass while I was prophesying that Pelatiah, the son of Benaiah, died. That was the guy from before. Then I fell down on my face and cried out with a loud voice and said, O Lord God, will you make a full end of the remnant of Israel? 
One theologian called Pelatiah a harbinger of God's judgment. And if chapter 9, verse 8 was an actual question and not a rhetorical cry, then he repeats it here in what we just read. One theologian called the next section the gospel according to Ezekiel. But we're actually just going to pick up there next time because I have five pages Mm -hmm. of church father quotes on the gospel according to Ezekiel. Mm -hmm. So we'll pick up there in um, 9.14 next time. Um, It's a brilliant and beautiful part. Does anybody have any thoughts of what we looked at here? So, so, so I'm understanding this correctly. He has this, uh, he has this, you know, message, this, you know, prophecy, vision, all this stuff. And then in the middle, like in the middle of it, it ends this section, sort of snapping out of the prophecy, and Pelatiah just falls over dead. Correct. Like that actually happened. That wasn't a a vision or something. He's like that's a historical thing that happened. Exactly. So um, was it was as a result of him listening to this, or did just like also which happened at the same time? You know, Pelatiah was somewhere and he died, or is it like he's hearing all this and it was too much and he died? So what I think it is is I think that in his vision he saw these two guys performing this function in Israel, but they're actually were in exile with him, mm. and so then when he wakes up from the vision, they're like, dude, right when you were saying this, this happened. Mm. So when he was writing it, that's he said it. this was the moment that that happened. That had to be like a, another um, tally in the column of, okay, Ezekiel's not crazy. You know, yeah. like what are the odds? <laughs> he's still in this room with, he's laying on the ground, right? And people are around him. Yeah. He's seen Stranger Things season three. Um, he, he's like, they're trying to get the shadow monster out of him and he's like writhing in the bed. Do you feel like he's like sort of squirming during all of this? Like his body's reacting or he's just passed out. Hmm. I mean, he's doing this in front of 25 men, you know, the leaders of his, like that had to be a scene in and of itself. Yeah. And then he says all this, but basically using one of their own figures of speech against them. Yeah. You know, to their face. Okay. He's like, God's saying this thing you say about the meat and iron pot, by the way, I mean, you're half right, but you're the, you know, the victims aren't, aren't who you think they are. And God's going to pull you out. And then in the middle of that burn, one of the 25 just dies. That like that to me, I would, if I would, if I would have made it this far <laughs> as a skeptic and was among those 25 dudes watching this, I'd have been like, all right, chills okay. down my spine. Insane. What do you want us to do, Ezekiel? Yeah, and I think that that's part of what's going on in the text is that a lot of the things that he's saying about exile in chapter 24, a, a guy shows up and he's like, Jerusalem fell, right? And so people are going to be like, oh my gosh. One of the other things you see when you read the prophets, like in Amos chapter 7, you see that God and Jeremiah, God's condemning the prophets that are just giving good words to people that aren't from him. And they're presumably thinking, oh, I'm just encouraging people, right? They're just mm-hmm. like, oh, everything's okay. But, like, it's not okay. That isn't what God's communicating. They're right. just saying things, right? So I think that's perhaps, you know, something there as well. Hmm. Man, can't wait like to see it. I feel like it's about to turn up. It's about to get crazy. Mm-hmm. Turn up? Yeah. There, the, there is such a beautiful end uh, to this chapter. And... um this is this it's the same word that god was giving in jeremiah chapter 32 so the 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 next part is um like 
the beginning of the shadow of the coming covenant with Jesus. And mm -hmm. so it's it starts to tilt. A bunch of people called it the gospel according to Ezekiel. So we'll look at that next time. Thank you guys for joining us. I hope you're having a wonderful day. Yeah. And um, we would love it if you guys would like and do all that jazz. And um, we'll see you here next time.